In the Chinese culture, it is taboo to talk about death. So much so that people will avoid the number four because in Mandarin, the number four and death sound very similar. For example, people will avoid having four in their phone number and construction companies will avoid numbering any floor with the number four. In Western culture, death is also taboo. People are uncomfortable when the topic comes up. Since death is so off limits, we tend to not know what to do or say when someone is dying. And often, we don't know what to say to someone who has lost a loved one. Grief is not linear. It is overwhelming. It is messy. And it is complicated. When someone is going through the pain of losing someone, it is important to be supportive. But as a society who tends to shy away from talking about death, how do people learn to be supportive during the most difficult time in someone's life? Some people tend to rely on cliches to help support someone who is in mourning. They use painful adages like, it'll get better with time. They are in a better place. God needed another angel. Or, everything happens for a reason. These cliches fill the space of uncomfortable silence, but they do not help. People tend to do this because they see someone in pain and they want to comfort them. These sentiments are rooted from a place of love. But what is more painful than wrongfully worded cliches is doing nothing at all. When you are in the painful depths of grief, there are people who avoid you. People who avoid talking about your loved one. And people who just simply don't do anything. Not showing up is hurtful. It makes people who are grieving feel even more isolated. When someone has lost someone, they don't need you to say anything. They don't need you to fix anything. They just need you to be there and help carry the burden of grief. This week on Pieces of Us, I talk with Jillian Muse, who is a teacher, a wife, and a mother of three. Jillian shares her heartbreaking story about losing her son Samuel 20 days after his birth. She talks about her difficult journey through grief and provides insight on how to be supportive to someone who is going through the painful grieving process. Let the light shine and let us start again with these pieces of us, pieces of us, stories of yours, stories of mine, all we have to share is time and pieces of us, pieces of us. Welcome back to another episode of Pieces of Us. This week I'm joined with a by a very special guest, uh, Jillian Muse. Jillian is a teacher, a wife, mother of three. Um, and Jillian, uh, so I guess for listeners, just so that they're aware, this is kind of the first interview I've ever done. Uh, we're 
we're not in the same room, so we're using kind of this application Zoom. So, so it feels kind of a little weird, but um, so Jillian, uh, I usually ask my guests to just kind of describe themselves in a sense of, you know, you're more than just like a teacher, a wife, and a mother of three, kind of what are the things that you enjoy doing and how would you describe yourself? Well, thank you for having me, first of all. It's a tough interview. I know it's going to be, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm originally from Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, and I've lived in Calgary now, I guess, for 10 years. I really love the ocean, so every time we have the opportunity to get away, uh, we always go to the ocean. We, so we thoroughly enjoy like traveling and um, just visiting family because we don't have any family out here anymore. Uh, I am a teacher, but I love reading. I think that's kind of a given when you're a teacher. I like spend, I, I always have a book on the go. I'm always reading. I, I guess that's, um, that's perfect. <laughs> I know. Okay. It's, it's always uh, interesting. It's kind of an uncomfortable thing. People are like, just describe yourself. <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you alluded to um, earlier, you know, this is definitely a very difficult interview and a very difficult conversation we're going to have. This is, a story about grief and a conversation about losing a child. So it is a very difficult conversation and I, and I can't thank you enough for kind of opening your heart and sharing your story with us today and sharing a little piece of who you are. Um, because I do believe by sharing these stories, hopefully, you know, others who are going through something similar or just we can kind of become more empathetic human beings by listening to some of these stories. Exactly. So, That's what I hope to do. So we're going to, we're going to talk about Samuel. Samuel is uh, your first born and let's go back to when you found out you're pregnant and how did you find out and how did you tell your friends and family? Uh, so we learned that we were expecting on my 28th birthday. Uh, that was like the best gift ever. I just remember being like super excited and but also like really terrified because I was like there's a baby in there but somehow that baby has to like come out <laughs> so that the, the part about like birthing the baby was terrifying but I was just so we were just so excited um we told family around would have been after our eight week uh dating ultrasound um it was just like that ultrasound was crazy like just to look at baby and see babe like the the heartbeat like I think baby is probably about the size of a poppy seed at that point but like to see the little heartbeat it was just it was incredible so then we learned that uh, we had our first child was going to be due April 21st 2015. Uh, we start to we made an Instagram official I guess at 12 weeks because you know nothing's really Instagram official until or nothing's really official until it's on Instagram or on social media right so we made it official then and we had like the kind of naive birth announcement. It was looking back, it, it makes me like sad to think about, but we did, uh, we had a little uh, picture of a bun in the oven. And when I look at the picture, I just see like we have like the biggest grins on our faces and we're just so happy. Like after seeing like those two pink lines, like we just know we're going to bring this baby home, right? Like it's a given. And that announcement is just, I, it hurts to look at sometimes. So that's what we put on social media. That's what everyone saw. Uh, and then we just started to kind of plan the nursery. We started to like think about names and, you know, like as a teacher, it's so hard to like think about names that, you know, that w would fit, especially as like being a teacher for, I've been in the classroom for eight oh, years now. A hundred percent. Like it's <laughs> you're 
and even names that it's not necessarily even like a quote unquote bad kid that's in your class, just even like common names or just names resonate with particular students and individuals. And it's not necessarily bad, as I say, but it's hard yeah. to find a name. <laughs> so we're really excited, but it was just kind of like all of the trivial things we were worried about at the time. Like looking back kind of makes me like laugh because we just weren't even thinking about the bigger picture. But I guess that's kind of what most like new and expecting parents kind of think about. Oh yeah, when you see those, when you see the first the pink lines and going to that eight week ultrasound, you're not thinking worst case scenario because this is the most beautiful thing <laughs> to happen. <laughs> exactly. Can you uh, just describe your pregnancy and talk about when when things maybe start turning or when you kind of realize that maybe this isn't going to be a smooth sailing pregnancy? Yeah. A couple of weeks before like the 19 week anatomy scan, it's kind of like the really big ultrasound where they just check on baby and make sure everything's growing and developed to the way that it should be. Uh, I started getting like these really wicked debilitating like migraines and they were like really regular. And I've never had a migraine in my life. Like I've heard people talk about them and I'm like, Ooh, like that sounds nasty, but like I've never had a migraine like the ones that I had like two and three times a week when I was about, I'm going to say maybe like 15 weeks along. Um, I didn't really think much of it at the time. I was just like, you know what, it's probably another thing, like another pregnancy related kind of like symptom. Like I had like awesome varicose veins. Those are cool. And then I had like the headaches and my doctor kind of associated it with my scoliosis that I've had like since I've been a kid like taking on like the extra weight of baby and you get like so much more blood um they just said maybe it's just you know taking a toll on your on your scoliosis and I was like okay that's what I'll go with and you know it was awful it was brutal but I was just like you know what it's gonna be worth it so yeah leading up to the 19 week ultrasound it was kind of like there was a number of things that were going on, but like most women experience some kind of discomfort and it's kind of to be expected when you're, when you're pregnant. So leading up to the anatomy scan, I just never, I never thought about things going wrong or like anything, you know, anything like being told to us that wasn't out of the norm. And uh, for the most part, we were just excited to get that gender put in the envelope for our gender reveal party that we were planning. So I didn't, I, I often, like, I didn't think about anything going wrong until, you know, until it happened. So um, the ultrasound was really, it was really tedious and it was really long, but I hear that to be expected because they're, like I mentioned, they're checking and measuring everything on baby. But um, it was just so neat to see like only 11 weeks later, baby is like fully grown, not fully grown, but like significantly larger than that poppy seed we saw at eight weeks and baby's got limbs and like it's flipping around and kicking and you can see like like the heart you can see like it's everything like it's a legit like baby in there like and it was so amazing to see him just like flipping around and kicking and oh it was it was it was an amazing ultrasound but afterwards uh we went to a room with a um kind of the technician led us to a room and just said, okay, uh, the radiologist is going to review your files and he'll, he'll come in and chat with you guys in a little while. And I just thought kind of it was a routine chat because, you know, throughout the ultrasound, the technician, she didn't 
say, like she didn't give us any kind of indication that anything was wrong. Uh, it seemed very routine. So and you, you guys were not worried when you, they were going to come and kind of review. You just thought this is, this is normal and you had no indication about what they were about to tell you. Exactly. I just, I just thought, you know, it was a really extensive ultrasound. So they're just going to review everything with us. And I just thought it was just them being thorough, but we were really wrong. Um, I just remember being in that room and we weren't really worried at first. Like I remember I was actually Googling uh, old wives tales about heartbeats because they give you your heartbeat. Like the technician gives you the heartbeat of the baby. And I guess I think if the heartbeat's like higher than what is it like 140, it's a girl. And if it's lower than 140, it's it's a boy. And that's what I was doing. I remember it vividly. And I was like, you know what? I think like Sean, I that's my husband. I like, I think we're having a boy. Anyway, we just had no idea that in minutes the mat was going to be ripped out from under us, like life changing. So the, the radiologist arrived. He told us that our baby had a number of abnormalities. And I just, I hate that word, mm-hmm. abnormalities. I think it maybe it's as a teacher, like we never talk about kids being normal and like abnormal, but that's the medical field for you. So he just talked about, uh, yeah, how there were a few abnormalities and that it was basically a, a guarded prognosis, which means like the future of the pregnancy was really unknown. They couldn't, they couldn't tell us what was going on, but these were abnormalities that they don't often see. And that, you know, like they, they couldn't tell us if, you know, a baby's going to die in utero or, or, um, or it was, this is going to be resolved on its own. And so moving forward, what conversations did you and your husband have? Like, is it just like, so was it from 19 weeks on like a waiting game every ultrasound or? Yeah. Like we were like, <laughs> we were in shock pretty much. Um, I didn't mention that um, the radiologist really was pushing uh, abortion on us. Like he highly recommended to have an abortion, just saying that a lot of people that are in our position where like your pregnancy kind of has a guarded prognosis that you should abort because, you know, like you don't know what kind of complications lie ahead. You don't know, like you don't know if you'll have, have a baby that's born into a life of like struggle and pain. And that's kind of all he really said to us. Like that was kind of our only option, like going forward. And I just was like, pardon me. Like I just watched that child on the screen for an hour. And you're going to tell me that like, this is, this is what was 20, 2015. You're going to tell me this is our only option. Anyway, um, he just, so he really just, just kind of gave you it's abortion or wait and see. He said, yeah. And that was it. He kind of made you feel almost guilty about, you know, carrying on with the pregnancy because, you know, like, because you don't, he just said, chances are like baby's going to be sick. There's a slim, a slim possibility that, you know, these abnormalities could be corrected after birth, but you know, that's a, that's a serious gamble. And you know, you guys are young and you can have more babies. And he just talked as if like we could just replace that child. And I, it just made me feel like, like I was physically sick. Yeah. Like that you, you weren't picking out names already and that you, you know, you have a room specifically designed for this child and you're already even though you haven't met this child you have a life planned out and just to say like oh well there'll be another one (laughs) just to exactly and it wasn't just the first yes and it wasn't just the first time that I heard that I heard it like from many doctors over the course of you know after that 19-week ultrasound I heard it a lot and we just chose 
we chose to continue the pregnancy because I just knew that regardless of our decision, there was going to be grief, you know, like we're going to, we would have grief if we terminated and, you know, always wondered what if, you know, what if that baby was healthy? What if they were wrong? Like what if, what if like things could have been done after birth to correct those abnormalities and, you know, or on the other side, like, yes, this baby will like struggle or have a complicated life, but this baby will know joy too. Like he will meet his parents and he will know nothing but love. So we just kind of thought about making, you know, the best situation out of like the worst possible circumstances. And that's kind of what we went with. That was my gut from the very beginning is, you know, and they've been the, wrong before. Like with your husband, was it kind of just both of you on the same page right away? Was it, I mean, that's huge news to hear. And then to try to have to make, you're basically making a life altering decision in a variety of ways kind of what were those conversations like they were they were difficult but we both like wholeheartedly in that room with the radiologist decide like this is this is what we want to do we want to carry forward because it's almost impossible to you know to talk about terminating a pregnancy when you've just watched that baby like we were you just had you built like an instant connection I know it's different with with moms because they feel those kicks I feel those movements like from the very beginning, like you can tell that you're pregnant very, very early on and you develop a connection Whereas dad kind of, he'll feel the kicks eventually. And then when baby's born, they build that connection. But he, my husband, like Sean, he just, he was just so supportive the entire time. And we were just, we were determined to fight for this little guy's life. And, and I think we were just, hoping. I'm thinking of your connections. And I think I read in a, in your blog about, like you even knew before you took the test that you were pregnant and there's that like mother's intuition. And I think, I think that connection starts even with the, am I pregnant? <laughs> and, and you just, exactly. you do build this intense bond that is unexplainable. It's very true. I took three tests before they were all negative. Uh, sorry, the two, two were negative And then the last one was positive, but I just knew you just have, you have a feeling you just know. So it's incredible. Like mom tuition is what we, what yeah. we coin it. So can you talk about either, did you guys decide to tell your families kind of what was happening? Did you decide to kind of hold back and go through just to kind of see and see where it takes you? Like how, how did you manage that? I was a blubbering mess when we left that appointment and just not having any family here. The first thing I did, like I remember we were, Sean had to get gas, which is so brutal but we were getting gas after we left the appointment and I remember calling my mom who's in Nova Scotia and, and you're in it was Alberta actually her yes yeah. and uh, it was actually her birthday that day which was terrible but um she's an RN and I just wanted her kind of medical opinion on it and uh just she pushed for kind of a second opinion from this doctor who suggested abortion blah 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 I kind of just I wanted to get another ultrasound done to see so I just, I could, like, we were shocked. Like, I just couldn't believe it. So we did tell family right away because we needed the support, especially just not having anyone, you know, within proximity to us here. We have close friends here, but nothing compares to family when you're going through something like that. So we told them instantly, like, I didn't even get home yet. And I was on the phone with her. Yeah, you just need family to lean on when things like that happen. In what ways and how, how did they support you through kind of until Sammy's birth, was there anything in particular that really helped you to, to get through? Um, 
my family comes from, I'm a cradle Catholic. My family is very, very religious. So we relied just on, we were praying and pushing for second opinions. I did actually switch um, OB doctors. I went from just like low risk to high risk where I met with um, doctors weekly. Like I had weekly ultrasounds. I think I had like 30 ultrasounds, honestly, for Sammy's pregnancy, which is like unheard of for, um, you know, a regular pregnancy. And then we were just kind of under close watch. My mom was just really pushing for, you know, being watched because shortly before birth, I, I developed a, a rash, like kind of from torso all the way up like to my shoulders, like a full out rash that I've never, you know, I've, <laughs> I've never seen before and just blood pressure started creeping up. So I'm really happy that my mom just like advocated for me, like, you know, you need to like push for better health care because and more ultrasounds because you have you have to look after yourself. No one else is going to. So I'm happy that I had kind of not only my mom, but just like her medical expertise on, you know, what to fight for. And somebody that it's medical expertise of somebody that you 100% trust. Exactly. And has your best interest. Well, what, it was the rash from your high blood pressure? So it's, um, I was actually admitted at like 31 weeks in the hospital with, um, it's like severe hypertension was one of them, but then there's preeclampsia, which is quite, not quite, not common, but it's kind of one of the more, one of the risks near the end of the pregnancy that people experience. And I had HELP syndrome and mirror syndrome. So that's kind of where people are like, what is that? And that is, that is where my rash came from. So basically HELP and mirror syndrome is when you start taking on um, what the baby is experiencing. So in this case, like Sammy had um, extra fluid uh, in his body. So what they were noticing on me was that I was gathering, I had fluid gathering around my heart and I was starting to get organ damage and I had like elevated liver enzymes and like low platelet levels. So they were, they monitored that like at every, all shown every appointment that I had after the 19 weeks. And every week I just started to get getting worse and worse. Sammy was still growing, still happy in there, but I started to really like deteriorate like significantly, like even having like nosebleeds, which I don't ever, like I, I haven't had a nosebleed since I was like five. Like I don't have nosebleeds, but it was just, everything was like failing at that point. And my mom being in Nova Scotia was, was panicking because she knows, like she, she wishes she doesn't know, you know, what happens when these things aren't, like we don't stay on top of them. So she was panicking. So anyway, I was, I was admitted at 31 weeks and one day uh, gestation. And um, then I had all those, the um, steroid shots in preparation for delivery. And they just said, we need to take baby out because you are very sick. So Sammy, was he born at 31 weeks or? Yeah. So it was 31 weeks, two days. So I was in the hospital for yeah, I was, so I delivered him the following day after I was admitted. So he was born on February 19th, 2015. And I just, it was an emergency C-section because I was too sick to actually have late, like to do labor. And also Sammy had uh, quite a bit of fluids. So they're worried about him going through the birth canal. So we did have an emergency C-section and there were dozens of nurses and doctors in the OR room. And we were kind of I remember we were prepped before the the C-section about, you know, like, we don't know if he'll be breathing. We, we honestly have no idea, like, if he will, if he will make it through, like, delivery. Um, so we were just kind of prepared for the worst. And I remember just, like, the room was buzzing 
And the moment that they pulled him out of, out of my belly, I, they held him up and I just, it was and my husband, who's not a big crier. He had these big crocodile tears and he was like, he's here, he's breathing. We did it. Like, like you're amazing. And he's just the sweetest thing. And it wasn't, you know, your typical, like hold him to your chest right away that you get, you know, that you see those pictures and there's no skin to skin right away that he was just whisked away to the NICU. But it was incredible that moment that, you know, we fought so hard for him and, and he got to take, you know, he took his first breath. He saw us. I'll never forget that moment. And, and what was it like the days following that with his birth and you're still trying to recover from everything of being admitted and having so you're still I guess you're trying to recover from birth from giving birth uh you're trying to recover from the symptoms you're experiencing and then with the hormones and then also on top of that having a child in the NICU can you take us through some of the days following in the recovery room after I left the OR that's typically like I've had two other children since then so I know it's kind of you what to usually expect but um, I was in recovery for about 12 hours, um, just monitoring my blood pressure, which was still really sky high, and they were monitoring my organs. And I was actually on a magnesium like sulfate drip, which is just kind of a really serious IV that they didn't really tell me much about because they didn't want to panic me. But I just remember being in and out of consciousness all day because it, apparently it makes you very sleepy. And uh, I remember telling Sean every time I'd come in and out of consciousness, like, you need to like make sure you stay with Sammy. Don't worry about me. Like, you know where to find me. This is where I'll be. But go in and be with him and spend time with him. Yeah, so I was able to recover, not recover, but they took me to see Sammy on a stretcher about 11 hours later. So just imagine like not like giving birth and not being able to see your child for, you know, 11 hours while you like recovered. So they, um, yeah, I went up on a stretcher to see, to see Sammy in the NICU and there he was. And Sean had changed his, his diaper already. And he had been fed, of course, like through a tube, just the most sweetest baby. Like he had this, he had so much blonde hair, like curly blonde hair and really, really pretty blue eyes. I just, I remember that moment, just holding his little hand. NICU life was really hard. After we delivered Sammy, I was in the hospital for about a week after, which was great for me because we live about 40 minutes from the hospital. Um, So I was in the hospital for a week just while they regulated everything and tried to keep me alive, basically. So it was nice to be in the hospital just down the hall from the NICU so I could just pop in any time of the day to visit and um, hold him and just get to know our little guy. But it was really hard in that. I feel like I have like PTSD from like just being in the NICU. There's always machines beeping and there's just like so many babies in there that were really sick or really small. And I just, you don't know if those beeps from those machines are good beeps or bad beeps or like, should I panic? The fact that I needed like a whole team to hold Sammy when I was, like when I wanted, like if I wanted to hold him, I needed to have a respiratory team come and help to make sure all of his cords and tubes stayed in. And they were always, they were always just taking tests from him. Like they were running, they were poking and prodding him and just trying to, trying to find out what this little guy had and what was going on. And then just on top of the C-section recovery, it was just, it was hired. Like I, I just, we spent 20 days in that NICU, like morning to late, late evening, like my husband had to go back to work eventually after I was discharged from the hospital. And uh, he would, he would join us in the evening, we'd have supper there. And then 
we would stay and he would, I just found that um, Sammy like really perked up when he visited. So he looked forward to his visits and then we'd drive home around nine and do it all again the next day. You would have to drive home and then come drive the 40 minutes back in the next morning. Yeah. And keeping in mind, like when you have a C-section, you're not allowed to drive for four weeks because of your incision. So um, luckily my mom, she had flown out from Nova Scotia about two days after Sammy was born. She came out and she was doing all the driving and she's a small town girl. So driving in a big city, 40 minutes was a little overwhelming, but she did really well. But yeah, she. I'm so thankful I had her because those are very long days and very stressful. And just I just can't imagine just doing it without her. Were there days, and I hate to even ask this, but were there days when you left that you're not sure when you come, if you came back, that Sammy would be alive? Yeah, like there were some days, well, I treated every day, like when I left him, like that I just was, you didn't know, like we didn't, at this point, we didn't know what was going on. I still had, they didn't have any answers for us. So I just, I kind of treated every day, like, like it was our last, but my husband had to go back to work, unfortunately. He said, had I have known, you know, that we only had those 20 days, Things would have been very different. We just didn't know, you know, that we had just very few days. I just, the bottom, just kind of at the back of my mind, I just always thought that we would be taking him home. You know, it would be a, a good stay, like he was born early. And he just seemed to be improving every day. Like he was eating well and he was just going to town on a soother. He loved his soother. And just, I, I honestly thought, well, like I just thought he would get better. But I did treat every day that, like I just treated it that we wouldn't, you know, in the event that we lost him in the night, um, that I just wouldn't see him again. So I treated it like when I left him, I gave him kisses and just held him for hours on end. But, oh, it was hard. Yeah, and I'm sure you're not getting any sleep. No, and then you can, what's what's great about the NICU is you can call at any point. Like if you woke up at 3 a.m., you can call and just check in and they give you kind of the rundown of what's going on. So they were the nurses and they are fantastic. They really are. But yeah, you don't you don't sleep very much. And then on top of recovery, it was just it was exhausting emotionally, physically, just the whole works. Can you tell us about Sammy's last day? Yeah. Um, so we were my mom was actually scheduled to fly out that morning. It was uh, March 11th. She was scheduled to fly out. So we were actually getting ready. She was packing her things up. I was going to drop her off at the airport and then head over to the hospital driving illegally. <laughs> She had to return to work, unfortunately, because she still works part-time. She uh, actually runs the medical clinic at a jail, so she's the only one that does it, so she has very limited vacation time. So she was, she, I was driving her to the airport to fly out, and I got a call at about 20 after 7, and it was a nurse. It was our favorite nurse, um, and she said, you need to come in because Sammy's having a lot of trouble breathing, and I said, okay. I'm just, I'm going to drop my mom off, but I can be there soon. And she said, no, you need to come now. So, um, so anyway, uh, we, we, we left and I was like, I'm getting behind the wheel. We're getting there fast pronto. So we, we got there and I called my husband on the way and he met us there. And uh, we were really hesitant to hold him because I didn't want to, um, I didn't, I didn't want to, um, you know, speed things up. I, kind of side note like I lost my dad when I was 21 and I remember when we repositioned him it's kind of when things like progress a bit so I didn't want to I just knew from that kind of experience that when you move people from like how they are when they're when they're last couple of hours that it tends to progress things so 
I didn't want to hold him. Um, but the nurses were like, you need to. So we did. And uh, we each took turns holding him. And uh, at about <coughs> shortly around two o'clock, he uh, passed away in my husband's arms. And it was just, I was just, oh, I can still remember like the sounds and the smells and the conversations. And when you lose a baby in the NICU, all the curtains are closed because usually it's just one big wide open room with like babies everywhere. But when there's a death, they close all the curtains and there's hushed conversations. And we just, I just have those moments etched in my, I can see them clear as day still five years later. Can you um, take us kind of, I guess, through your your grieving and what it was like the days and the months kind of after Sammy's death and how you were processing these emotions of losing your first child? Yeah. Um, so I think like leaving him, you know, with nurses, like his, my favorite nurse was there. She's, she's incredible. I just we'd order a thank you later on um like six months later when I could finally sit down and kind of have thoughts um but we left him and that was incredibly difficult just kind of leaving the hospital with like a box of memories instead of your baby is just something you don't ever wish upon your like very worst enemy you just can't even put into words that devastation but I just kind of touched on um losing my dad a little bit um I just, as we headed into like this new normal for us, like no baby, um, I just, I just never thought that it would be us, you know, like I know I kind of listen to your other podcasts and it's always like, I just never thought it would be, it would be us. I just never thought it would happen to us until it did. And when we lost my dad, my dad had a very courageous fight with cancer for six years. And um, I just thought that when I lost him at 21, you know, like he didn't see my wedding. He didn't, he hasn't, you know, he didn't, he missed a lot of things. And I just never thought that we'd have even more heartache, you know? You put your, I, you put your time in the grief train and that's, that's how it's supposed I felt, to be. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I look around and there's so many people that have, you know, moms and dads. And I didn't have that. Like I, he, he missed a huge chunk of our lives. And I just didn't think, like, I thought my grief kind of, phase like I still miss him I miss dearly he's an amazing dad but I just I thought that you know it was behind us like I that's that's all there that's all the heartache that I can handle in this lifetime but I was wrong so kind of the uh we learned my husband and I learned quickly that uh men and women grieve very differently I'm uh Sean had to return back to work as I mentioned and he was kind of thrown into all the questions and all the sad puppy dog looks that people give you and uh, he was kind of around it more than I was. And where I was off for eight months, I took a leave of absence for eight months um, because I couldn't, I wasn't ready to face anybody yet. I just, I've, I've mentioned it to Sean like quite a few times, but I just feel like in the grief process, especially when you lose a child, that the man is often overlooked. Like they, they're always asking, you know, like, how is, you know, how is Jillian doing? Like, what can I do for her? Like, but never asking like, how the dad is the dad had their loss just like the mom did and it was hard because I feel like Sean didn't he had to stay strong because I just wasn't it was I was a mess for a, a really long time 
but I did do early, I did do counseling kind of early on. Um, our NICU, we have, you're assigned a social worker in the NICU. Um, she has your kind of caseload and she suggested um, grief counseling and kind of, it was actually, she suggested it, you know, the day that we lost Sammy. And she just said, you know, like you should see someone just to talk things out and wrap your head around this. So I did, I, I took, I took her advice and I saw a counselor for, it wasn't very many sessions because she had ever lost a child and talking to her was kind of like, I don't know, I just, it wasn't, yeah, I was crying a lot, but it wasn't really satisfying. Like I couldn't, I didn't feel any better when I left there. And she also had like pictures of her kids in frames around her office. So it was just like really, it wasn't helpful. And then I received no call from, you know, there's a health nurse that calls you after you deliver a baby. I didn't receive any calls from the NICU with follow-ups from our social worker, nothing. So it's just kind of like, you're just, you leave the hospital and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. So um, a few weeks after we lost Sammy, we did a trip, which was great. It was really nice to leave the country and leave everything behind. No one knew our story. Um, just... It was a nice escape, was what it was. And uh, we, we got back and kind of got back into our, you know, people tiptoeing around us. And uh, I did have some close friends that were there for me. I had family, of course, that were distant, but still very present. Um, and we had a puppy. We had a golden retriever puppy that I adopted actually a month before I found out I was pregnant. So, like, she helped me get out of bed in the morning because she had to pee and I had to feed her be a responsible pet owner but um yeah the first weeks months even year were very trying very hard especially when there's kind of no support and you're almost left to try to figure out even how to put the pieces together like with no support and no follow-up from the hospital or from the social worker and that's that's a lot to take on on your end as well of just one grieving and then to figure out how to move on from this. Yes. In your blog, I read about how, you know, society tends to provide just like a brief time frame to grieve that you're expected. Like, yes, you're supposed to be grieving and there's this like allowance of understanding. And then all of a sudden it's, all right, get over it. Were there situations where you felt like this? Yeah, definitely. Um, I can remember when I returned to work, it was in August at this point. Our school board, this is a silly school board, it starts before Labor Day, which is not fair, but we were back in school in August. And I can remember seeing people that I hadn't seen in like, you know, since I went off, like expecting a baby. And I hadn't heard anything from them, you know, in the months after. And uh, I remember this one coworker was like, like, well, aren't you happy to be back? Like, aren't you happy to have, you know, be back in routine and be back here? And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, are you nuts? Like, I should be at home with like a six-month-old. I should be at home like sleep-deprived and exhausted. And I should be home with a baby. Like, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. I'm not. Like, it was shocking. And then I had another coworker um, say to me, it'll get better with time. Time will heal. Time will heal this wound. And I can just remember thinking like, like time doesn't time doesn't heal like you know when you've spent 20 days with your child and you had to give your child back like 
time is not going to heal this. I'm not going to move on from this. And I've just learned, like, since losing Sammy, that we are given such a short time. Like, you've got, like, a month or two, you know, like, you're allowed to wallow in your grief. You're allowed to, you know, like, be a shut-in and cry. Cry as much as you need to. But after that, after those couple of months, like, there's something wrong with you. You need to get therapy. You need to read these books. You need to get better because this isn't healthy. And I've just learned, like, losing my dad and losing Sammy, like, grief, there is no expiration date for grief. Like, you will grieve your entire life because you will continue to miss that person your entire life. And there's little moments in time where you have memories or you have even triggers that will bring you right back to your time with that person. And you'll, you, you will grieve them, you grieve for them for the rest of your life. It just becomes a part of who you are. Some days are harder than others, but it's grief isn't linear. It's not linear. It's not just like, it's not, it's not sorrow, like sadness and then anger. And then you end up coming full circle and you're healed. It's not like that. It's even, you know, like Sammy's birthday is in a couple of weeks from now and he'd be five. And I still, here I am still, like, I'm still crying. And I still, you know, I still take out the albums and look and we talk about him so much with his um, sister Sadie and grief doesn't end it doesn't not until I take my last breath I will think about him daily and talk about him because he he's a part of our family he's a part of my heart he's your firstborn exactly uh you talked about the triggers what are is there any specific triggers and I know for me uh just with my miscarriages some of the triggers are even just simple things of like people ask do you have any kids and it's just like and it's just like common, common things or common parts of conversations that people aren't necessarily trying to be hurtful, but it is like a stab in the heart every single time. Are there any triggers or anything that kind of people say that you're like, shut up? <laughs> There's too many. Not necessarily what people say, like, you know, in the early days, it's like, oh, you're young, you'll have more children and like, God, you another angel. It's like, yeah, well, what if he took your angel? Would that be comforting to you? Um, everything happens for a reason. I can't stay on that one. Can um, we, okay, can we just pause and just for society and people out there, let's stop telling this to people, and especially when they're in a time of grief, because that is the worst thing to tell anybody. Everything happens oh, for a reason. 100%. 100%. It's not, it's not helpful. It may be helpful for the person saying it, you know, like they've dusted off their hands and they've approached the person who's grieving and, you know, gave them some of their condolences, but it doesn't help. It does not help. You know, like I've learned the best friend to have when you're going through grief is someone that just sits there awkwardly and listens. All you have to do is listen. There are no words. Like you can't say, you can't say, there's no words that fix your grief sitting there and listening and crying or even laughing and just saying, you know, saying Sammy's name or saying that loved one's name, just being there. Your presence is so, so much better than just, you know, like those little cliched sentiments that don't make anybody feel better. Did you find people Um, avoided talking about Sammy and avoided talking about, about him or bringing up stories? That was the worst. I think like I, I told my husband like a number of times, like I will take wrongly worded sentiments any day over people that are silent. I thought we had like, don't get me wrong. Like we had so many 
people come forward with love and support and meals and just like their presence. We had, we had a lot of people come forward, but then there were some people that just like were radio silent, like nothing that really surprised me. And I know like I kind of learned even when I lost my dad, like some people like just didn't, didn't acknowledge, like didn't say anything. And I know those people have never experienced like a grief or like a loss. Like, you know, like there's grandparents, like you lose your grandparents. It's terrible, but they've had like a long life. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not downplaying the death of, of grandparents by any means because they are, you know, they, they're the reason we're here. But when a life is cut short, like significantly short, like 20 days short, like there's like, you need to say something. And um, that was where I got, that was the, the most painful part. And I, I kind of talk a lot about secondary losses in my blog about, you know, like um, friends, like not saying anything and like, um, just like a loss of a future. But when people don't say anything, like, I just find it a lot worse than, you know, just saying like, everything happens for a reason. I'd rather that because they're actually approaching the topic. But. Yeah, they're, they're not. It's, and it's, they're acknowledging you and kind of what you're going through. And by not acknowledging it at all, it's almost like, well, you don't even care about anything about me and my family and what's happening. Yeah, and I don't know if it just because it makes it like too real or frightening because a lot of people are scared of death and dying. And, you know, like death is so taboo. It's like a really awkward conversation that a lot of people don't want to have. But to just not even go there, like not even say like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry. That's all, that's all it takes is just acknowledgement. And not a lot of people get to meet Sammy and we didn't get to take him home. We didn't have that, you know, like that birth announcement. And to not even have him acknowledged by friends that I thought were, were close to me was, it was very, very, it, it was awful. And that's kind of where I started cutting a lot of people out of my life. You know, people that didn't say anything, see ya. I actually, um, I got rid of Facebook. I'm actually um, five years sober <laughs> this coming February from Facebook. Because I, just, I couldn't take like people not saying anything or like the pregnancy announcements or growing families, whole families that have all the family members there. I just like, I couldn't take it anymore. And I, I completely, I got rid of it. And I haven't looked back to be honest, but yeah, there are a lot of triggers even five years out, like even just seeing a, a pregnant lady at the grocery store, like just worrying about her. Like, I hope your OB is on top of things or like, you know, I hope you get to take your baby home. Like I actually think about those things. When you um, were pregnant with Sadie, that must've been extremely difficult because the emotions must have come back like tenfold yes it was it was terrifying like I, I remember like finding out we were pregnant and just being like oh my gosh and we got pregnant quite quickly after we lost them we got pregnant about seven months because let's face it we have nothing to lose nothing and we were supposed to bring a baby home and we didn't we had a nursery ready we had no baby did you do anything with the nursery Sorry, I'm jumping around, but... Oh, that's okay. Um, we, so Sadie uh, moved into to Sammy's nursery, and we kept a lot, of, uh, a lot of the things that we had set up for Sammy. Like, we have, like, a nice little accent wall, and we have um, Sammy's uh, ultrasound picture in there, one of his first ultrasound pictures. And um, there's a number of things that remind us of Sammy that we bought when we were expecting him because he never he never went in his nursery right so it, there were there was a lot of things we bought with the intention of him seeing them using them but 
he didn't get to use them or see them. But we did, we moved her into his nursery and there are a lot of things that we bought with him in mind. But I know there's a, an online community of lost moms and dads that I found through Instagram a few months after our loss. And they've just been like so helpful. Like I just, I find them better than any kind of therapy. They just like get you and your grief and just for someone to understand like your grief, like it's just so comforting. And um, they've been kind of like my lifeline over the last five years, like through anniversaries and birthdays and just days that just suck. Um, and I still have plenty of those days. So yeah, um, they kind of encouraged me to, you know, like she is, she is a different baby. This is not a replacement baby. So, you know, keep some of Sammy's things in your nursery and, you know, buy some things for her as well. Um, you know, add some pink in there. Like Sammy would love to, he, he'd love to share his nursery with his sister. So we just, yeah, we, we have some of his things, some of her things, and um, we just made it, made it for her. It must have been a long nine months with Sadie um, and carrying her. That 19-week ultrasound must have been the hardest ultrasound. I don't know. Was it the hardest ultrasound to go to? It was like, it was nauseating. <laughs> it was like, I couldn't even, like the days leading up to it, I was like physically, I, I was like sick. I couldn't even... I just couldn't even imagine it happening all over again because there was that possibility. We were told that this could happen again. It wasn't just a, you know, a fluke with what Sammy had. This could happen again to us. Um, so actually one in four chances of it happening to us. So yeah, leading up to the ultrasound, like it was absolutely terrifying, but I had, I've had so many ultrasounds in my life. Those are again, are a trigger. I actually went to an ultrasound with Sadie for like an unrelated thing, but she, she, um, I went with Sadie had an ultrasound done and just even hearing the buttons and the clicking just like brings you back like that. I just, I had to get out of there. I just like, couldn't breathe in that room. But yeah, the ultrasound for Sadie, I, we knew exactly what to look for because we had had 30 plus ultrasounds with, with Sammy. And we had had quite a few up until that point with Sadie as well as they were monitoring me really well just with Sadie's pregnancy. So we knew what to look for. And before the radiologist even spoke to us afterwards, I knew that, things looked good. So I feel like I could, I could be a, a technician. <laughs> you unfortunately had the training for it. Let's go back and talk about Sammy and how I think it's important and um, you've talked about it, but just like how do you and your family kind of keep Sammy's spirit and his soul alive or like how do you honor him? Uh, we do we do quite a bit of things for him. We do, uh, we celebrate his birthday every year. His birthday is on February 19th. So it's coming up. We always have a birthday cake every year for him. And um, I always talk to, to Sadie about her brother. And it's just a crazy, it's just crazy thinking like if, if he was here that she might not be, it's a really strange because we conceived her so quickly after we lost Sammy that it's just, it's so, it's so hard to wrap your head around that. They both couldn't be here. I know it's just, it's strange. Um, but we share stories. We speak his name. We look at pictures. We have a, a Christmas stocking that we have for him that hangs with his siblings. And we, every year, we have friends that give us a an ornament for a tree that we have for him. So we have a, a tree with all sorts of ornaments, like lots of S's and just kind of, we thought he'd be a hockey player like his dad. And um, we buy gifts at Christmas for a child who would be his age. So this year we bought a gift for a kid who'd be about five and we donate it. Um, we have a foster child 
uh, in the Ukraine. He's got cerebral, cerebral palsy and uh, he is also five. And also, funny story, um, I have a tattoo, which I never in a million years would ever thought, like I never, I'm not a tattoo person, I'm not a needle person, I can't even like get blood taken without passing out, even though I've had three C-sections, which is crazy. Um, but I got a tattoo on my left hand of his name where I held him. And it's just kind of, I, it's just, it's really special. It's on, you know, where, where my rings are, um, my wedding rings. And I, it's in my dad's handwriting, which is even more special because my um, Samuel Robert is his middle name. That's my dad's name. He's named after my dad. Yeah. I just, we, we honor him every day. Like he's, he's on our lips in our minds and on our hearts like daily and when we talk about our family when we talk to Sadie her brother her Sadie's younger brother Tucker is still he's only 15 months so he's not saying a whole lot doesn't understand a whole lot but when he's older he'll he'll know about his big brother too and we also buried him uh next to my dad in Nova Scotia which is hard because I can't visit him living in Calgary but we buried him next to my dad and I just it brings me peace just knowing that they're together and I know that my dad was one of the first to greet him in heaven. So I know he's not alone. Um, and I, I've talked about your blog and I've, you know, alluded to it of things that you've written in it. Um, when did you start writing about Sammy and losing your child? And why did you start writing about this experience? Well, after the therapy didn't really pan out the way I had hoped. Um, I started just writing on like, I was writing notes on my phone for a while and I was writing in like a journal and then I was um, writing, I found a blog just like WordPress and I hadn't, like I didn't share the link or anything on, on my Instagram. It was just for me writing. And I found that when I wrote, like, I just felt like lighter. Like I just felt like everything that I had on my heart, like I just, I could get it out and there's no judgment. Like I could say whatever I wanted to say and it was out whether it was like a rant about like how people suck at approaching grieving people or like, you know, how my birthday, I should have been, you know, like celebrating it with a baby. I just, some were angry, some were just letting words flow. And my husband was like, you know what? Like, I really feel like you should, you should share this with other people because like you feel alone. And I know there's other people, there's like hundreds of thousands of people, you know, that lose children which is a really, which is a sad thing to think about, but you're not alone. And for you to share your words with someone to make them feel not alone would would be like so helpful. And for you to also, you know, share your heart with people so that they know how to help you. Because nobody knows, like, you know, those friends that weren't there, they just don't know how to help you. So by telling them, you know, what they need to do or what they should, you know, what they should, how they should be around you would be huge. So Sean really helped me like encouraged me just to be vulnerable and just, you know, like tell people like where I'm at where in my grief so that they can, you know, approach me. Cause I know I shut a lot of people out in the beginning. Like if they didn't, if they didn't give me their condolences, yeah, not a chance. See ya. Um, but once I started opening up my blog and, and, and sharing it with not just my like community of lost moms and dads, but like with people that, you know, I went to school with or people that I interact with regularly. I just, I found, and people also came forward and told me that it had helped them. Like, I, I get it. And I'm so sorry. I didn't say anything to you before. I just, I didn't want to make you cry. I didn't want to say the wrong thing. Um, and so I just, 
thought, you know, if I helped just one person, it kind of made bearing your soul kind of worth it. So that's kind of, that was kind of my rationale. But my, my poor blog has taken a beating lately. It's, it's quite dusty. Uh, not that I'm finished grieving. It's just not very often I get to sit down and kind of sit at the computer and type my heart out. But it's well, um, life with a 15 year old or a 15 month old and, and uh, Sadie's through, no, four. Yeah, she'll be four in April. So yeah, there's not a whole lot of downtime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it, it was a helpful blog for me, for, you know, other lost moms, and also just people that don't even know where to start when it comes to grief. During grieving periods, and even during just really difficult times in life, uh, it's almost a test and for a relationship. Sure. And some relationships can handle it and some relationships they struggle and how have yours and Sean's relationship grow or how was your relationship kind of tested through this experience? Uh, well, when I met with my therapist, probably the, the, the only advice that I actually remember from her <laughs> was that she said um, men and women like really grieve differently. And I mentioned that earlier, but she said the uh, divorce rate for couples that experience a loss of a child she said it's upwards of 75%, which was like astounding. But I, I, I actually, I get it because, you know, like I remember when Sean went back to work in the early days and he him come home and it was like a regular day. Like he still had a, he had a significant loss, but he was able, he had an outlet. Whereas like I stayed home, I was like cleaning and sometimes I got out of bed, sometimes I didn't. And he, we were in such different grieving kind of routines, like where he'd be able to talk to coworkers and like I, you know, at work. And like, it was kind of like saying like, we lost our son was like, I couldn't even like get the words out of my mouth to like say that, but he could say it so much easier. And it wasn't because it was easy, like, it's easier on him. It's just that he was used to to talking about it. And I wasn't, and it was my choice to do that, obviously, but it was just, I wasn't ready yet. And just, he progressed through grief differently than I did. And we still, at the end of the day, we're like, he should be here. Like we miss him terribly, but nobody grieves the same way and you know the way that I grieve like now especially with my blog I find it a lot easier to talk about him now that I've got the words out and like my whole heart basically on my sleeve um there's no right right way to grieve and some people choose to you know like keep it inside but I found that just talking about it really doesn't heal you because you're never healed but it just it helps you move forward you don't ever you know like you don't move on but you keep moving forward and Shy and I's grief journeys are different, but like we, at the end of the day, like we're still, we still miss them terribly. And if I have a memory I want to share with Sean or he has a memory, we talk about it. Um, he was able to talk about Sammy months sooner than I was, but I feel like now we're kind of more in sync with where we are. If that makes yeah, sense. Almost honoring, honoring how each other can like how each other grieve. So instead of getting angry and upset trying to kind of put it in a logical place of like oh of understanding of okay well this is how he grieves it's not how I would do it but I need to respect his grief process but then somewhere be able to connect exactly yeah and at the beginning I actually like kind of felt like almost like resentment that he could talk about it so so much easier than I could and uh, I just because but it was because you know, he, he started, he went back to work. Like he got out of the, the grief bubble that was our house and just 
he talked about it. And the more he talked about it, the easier it became for him to talk about Sammy. Whereas like I didn't, I was just home. I was a mess. But now like, you know, five years out, I like I, I am able to talk about him. I still have tears, lots of them, but I can talk about him more freely. And I love talking about him and I wish people would, you know, ask me more about him because, you know, it's the only way I get to parent him is just to keep his memory alive and with the memories I have. And it's hard when you can't parent your child physically, but you want to, you want other people to remember him. I think that's so beautiful and carrying on kind of, you know, who he is and just the idea of you're still parenting him and it's just yeah. in a different way. I I always have, a, I, I always say, you know, everybody you know, has a purpose and it doesn't matter how long you're on this earth, if it's a few hours, if it's 80 years or somewhere in between, what do you feel is Sammy's purpose or like, what has he taught you and what has he brought to you and your family? He taught us a lot in those 20 days and kind of the months leading up to meeting him. We just really, I think, especially like in light of like everything that's going on since like, you know, the beginning of January, like just taking each day and just like seizing it like life is precious and to love with like every ounce of heart that you've got and he taught us to celebrate you know like not just the big things but like little things every little thing matters those make up the you know that that's at the end of the day like little things are also just as important as the big things and also the most important one I thought was just choosing joy joy doesn't come your way you have to choose it you have to you have to you have to choose joy and to live and love fully and to value and treasure every single moment because you don't know, you don't know how long or short you have. We thought we'd have at least, you know, a year or two with Sammy, but I would never, like, I don't ever, ever regret, you know, continuing the pregnancy and just only getting those 20 days with him because we grew as people, our hearts grew. I just feel more human. I just feel more empathy towards other people. And like, I, I just feel like a completely different person just knowing him. And um, just, he taught us that, Every person, no matter how long they live or their prognosis, that they're they're a gift. Every person that comes into your life is a gift. Do you have advice for grieving parents? Yeah, I everyone grieves differently. I found the best way was talking about it. You'll feel that grief is very heavy, and if you can find just one person that will just sit with you in your grief, take them up on it, sitting and listening, and laughing and crying. And, you know, if you know someone who's kind of lost someone, speak their name. Don't be afraid to, you know, talk about their name, ask questions. I'll never grow tired of sharing his story and keeping his memory alive. So, yeah, I would just find someone to, even if it's just one person, just to bear your soul because it feels so much better than keeping it inside. Um, and I know that family and, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. <laughs> um, just, uh, just to kind of touch on, what he's given us to like family and friends have said that Sammy's life has touched them. Like they've become kind of more loving and compassionate and patient parents, knowing that things can change in an instant. And they also told me they're like, it's just, it's a true miracle to be able to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy. And people take that for granted that it's true miracle to have like a healthy baby that you get to take home and parent. And um, I don't take pregnancy or any of anything with babies lightly because things change so fast. What do you hope and, and maybe that you've already kind of touched on this with um, just your advice 
but from people listening to this interview, what do you hope people get out of your story? I kind of wish, I should have mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview, but I kind of wish like in high school they had like a unit, just like a small, a couple week unit long session on grief and like how to approach people with grief. Because it is, it's like death and taxes are like the only thing that's certain in this life, right? Everyone's going to experience it, whether you've experienced it or not at this point. Like I feel like people should be, I, I just wish people were more educated on how to approach someone who's hurting and to not rush them through it and that grief you have to do it at your own pace I just I also wish people would kind of respect that even though like a loss happened you know like five years ago 20 years ago that there's still like so many triggers and situations that you just no matter how fresh your loss is that you just don't want to be involved in like I still like we have close friends that we actually had uh, a due date within a week when I was expecting Sammy, like we had, we had, a, we we're going to have our babies within a week of each other. And now that she has, you know, her little guy who's turning five soon, like I can't, like his milestones and all of his accomplishments are so hard to be a part of. Um, not that I don't want to be, you know, a good friend. It's just, it's, it's like heart wrenching. So um, just to understand that people, even though like a loss happened in a, a, quite a while ago that we still have these triggers and these situations that we don't want to be in and to not you know be upset or to feel hurt that we don't want to be a part of you know something and another thing is I just I hope when you're making small chat at the grocery store or at you know you know anywhere that you don't approach someone and just assume that what you see is all that all that's there like I can't tell you how many times I get approached at the grocery store when I'm out with Sadie and Tucker and someone says oh you've got a boy and a girl that's perfect like you don't need to have any more like that's that's amazing that it worked out that way and I'm just like biting my tongue just you have no idea you have no idea and also just I even remember shortly after we lost um Sammy at the when we went on our vacation a woman came up to us and said like we had gotten to know her over the course of kind of our stay for the week. And she said, she calls like, you're, you should be ready to have kids any day. Like you, like, are you thinking about kids? Are they kind of on your radar? And I just remember like just being so like angry, like here we are, like we had just buried our son and this woman is just, it, it's just, it's awful. And I just said, you know what? I am actually on maternity leave. And she said, Oh really? And I said, yeah, we, we just buried our son. And it was just, she was like, oh my gosh. Like, and then she avoided that for the rest of the week. But I just, I couldn't do it anymore. I just, what you see when you look at someone is not all there is that's there. And be prepared for an awkward conversation if you're asking such personal questions. Um, I just, I just can't stand those questions. So anyway, just be mindful when you're out. Talk about the weather. Talk about, you know, how about that Super Bowl? Talk about things that are neutral um, because chances are like, you know, if, if we're about the childbearing age and we don't have children, don't go there and just don't make assumptions. And if, and and if you do go there, <laughs> as you said, be prepared for yeah, whatever be the prepared answer is for the and, truth. and sit and listen and talk. And yeah. Thank you so much, Jillian, for sitting down with me today and opening your heart and sharing your story and, and I guess sharing Sammy's story 
this is Pieces of Us with Catherine Paquette. And if you feel like you have a story that you would like to share, please reach out to us. Uh, we do love hearing and reading your stories. You can email me at piecesofusshow at gmail.com. Thank you so much. As Jillian said, grief is not linear. We tend to put a small time frame on grief, but there is no expiration date. People who have lost someone will continue to struggle with grief. When you know someone who is grieving, it is important to be supportive, compassionate, and understanding. Jillian stated that the best friend to have throughout her grief was someone who just sat there and listened. She said to be supportive, you don't need to say anything and you don't need to fix anything. Your presence is so much better than any cliched sentiments. But above all else, show up. Don't avoid it. Don't hide away. Grief is very heavy and it helps to have people there to carry some of the load. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud. Again, please rate and review Pieces of Us. Every rating and review really does help me. Until next time, I'm Catherine Paquette. Thanks for listening. Stories of yours, stories of men, all we have to share is time and pieces of us, pieces of us, pieces of you, pieces of me, pieces of us, pieces of you, pieces of me, pieces of us, pieces of you.